We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello and welcome to the Arsenal Vision podcast. Uh, Not sure whether this qualifies as post-match, given that we're about 36 hours out at time of recording. Um, But we all with me, your host today, Tim Stillman, because Elliot is indisposed. He has joined the Arsenal injury crisis, ever the club man. He has decided that he is injured too and can't do the podcast. So uh, you're stuck with me uh, presenting today, uh, looking over the severe game from Wednesday night and perhaps having a little look ahead to the Burnley game on Saturday. And I think the way we'll take this is um, we'll probably just have a look at some kind of individual performances and just look at perhaps what they mean, what they mean for the evolution of the team, what they might mean for the next few weeks or so, but use the kind of severe game to anchor um, some of that and we'll have a little look ahead to Burnley tomorrow as well and here with me to do that is Clive who you can follow on Twitter at ClivePAFC. Morning Clive. Hello hello good morning how you doing? Yeah not too bad thank you we don't usually do these in the AM in UK uh, given given time zone (laughs) (laughs) given time zone uh, pressures shall we say but we don't have any of those today so we're recording on Friday morning for you hopefully get this out in good time for you ahead of the Burnley game but we are going to talk severe and like I said we'll zoom out a little bit and talk about maybe what some of the performances mean short to medium term yeah but First things first, Clive, I've said this a few times before, I'm loving the Champions League nights this year and it's not just because we've been out of the competition for so long and that music sounds really nice and, you know, I sit in the upper tier as well and when the the Champions League ball is flapping in the the centre circle when they're they're playing the music, uh, there's there's a nice bit of theatre to that but to me these nights just feel lighter um, because... We don't have Manchester City in our group. So even when we do something like losing lawns, it doesn't feel terminal for our season. And I just think there's been so much hyper anxiety around the league that these nights have just felt 
I, I'm not going to say like Carabao Cup nights because they're better than that. It's not the kind of night where you sit and chat to your friend and only half pay attention. Like they're intense, you're in them. But I, I don't know about you, Clive. I've just loved these nights this season. Tim, I, I couldn't put it better myself. I think I couldn't wait to get in the stadium on, on Wednesday. I got in really early for me. I met some people on the training from Hitchin and I just... They said, you come to the pub? I said, nope, I'm going straight in. I just wanted to get into the ground. The Newcastle game impacted me way more than it should have done. But the general constriction of the the Premier League, how we're being played against, some of the things that are happening against us. By the way, it's only down to the fact that we've got better and people are trying to find a way to stop us. So it's a compliment. So I'm not whining. But I to see, to watch a different competition... To see people excited in a different way. And when the game started, to see one yard of space between you and the opponent was just so refreshing. And then when people get fouled, they actually they actually give the foul. <laughs> it just felt like, oh, this is football. We can we can now play this game. And we're not on the end of some sort of narrative where you we just have to stop Arsenal, right? So um totally enjoyable. For my mental health, I really needed it. I really needed that game to reset myself because I got myself into a into a tunnel of hating our TV analysts, hating every single journalist that wrote a word about Arsenal that wasn't an Arsenal person. I just wanted to be amongst Arsenal people and have a chat about it quietly and nicely. And then um, the game came along and reset my head wonderfully. Yeah, exactly the same. And I don't want to, because uh, you're right, this felt like a bit of a, a refresh, a uh, bit of a, a brisk walk on a cold morning type thing. But I, I, I do want to kind of touch on slightly, I mean, you mentioned there about some of the, I think, quite transparent <laughs> um, stuff we've seen in the media this week. And all of a sudden, certain pundits different competitions where perhaps they don't have the phone number of the head of refereeing <laughs> working for different TV stations all of a yeah. sudden um, all of a sudden they don't like the referees anymore um, uh, and did both their teams lose oh, I think they did yeah yep. um, so all, all of a sudden all that went out the window but the, the thing I, the other thing I wanted to talk about well th- just touch on slightly as well is how much like the, don't get me wrong I don't think the referee got everything right or anything like that and it was quite frustrating at times. But the second goal, Clive, I didn't get to my feet at all because I'm so Premier League pilled. I thought, oh, I've probably got time to go and get a beer while while they check this on VAR. And it was none of that. And it was so much less oppressive, the kind of the atmosphere, the, the, the idea that VAR is looking at absolutely everything, like the ghost at the feast. Like, how did you feel about... I guess the way the not not the way the game was officiated in terms of decisions, but like the rhythm and the control of the game. And perhaps did you feel like I did that it didn't feel like there was just the looming spectre of someone in Stockley Park about to change something? Yeah, absolutely. And when we first had our VAR discussions, I could you know I didn't want to say oh we can't have VAR because I work in technology. I know technology is only going to increase in all our lives, right? So. It's coming, and the stakes are high, and people don't accept mistakes like they used to. You know, Frank Lampard's goal at the World Cup, we all know what happened there. That that can't continue. That, it just can't. 
But I was worried about VAR in relation to taking away the soul of the game. That was a phrase I used, remember? The soul of the game. Because why do we go? We go to see, support our team. We go to be with people that are like us, that have similar <laughs> persuasion, shall we say. And we go to see things that are extraordinary. And one of the most extraordinary things that you see in a game is the scoring of a goal. That is the thing that really is your lasting memory. And when that is being challenged so much on almost every occasion, even on goals where you're seeing players not even appealing, the best refs on the, on the pitch are the players. They appeal for everything. When they're not appealing and goals are still being checked, you, you're starting to wonder about the motivations of VAR. What is it there for? For me, it was to stop the egregious mistakes. Now it seems to be to referee every single detail of the game where someone's shoulder behind the line is changing the history of that team in a, in a particular game. And that 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 isn't the intention, or it wasn't the intention. And there needs to be a reset in thinking. And I'm, and I'm going to quote Adrian, actually, Adrian Clark. I thought he did a wonderful couple of lines on this. And he said, he said, we should just have VAR for the lines. And we should have automated offside. I'm paraphrasing, Adrian. Apologies if I get it wrong. Automated offside. And I thought, that, that's it. That's all the, we needed. We, the lines automated offside. And let the referee control the game and be accountable. And maybe you give the coach one or two challenges a game where he has a chance to stop something egregious. But if he doesn't do it, it's down to, it's down to him being slap happy with his challenges or whatever. But now you get a game. You get a game that stops the, the crazy error. And you and you get a game that the fans can connect to, because watching that Spurs game on on Monday, mate, that isn't football. That isn't football. You cannot have. I think the ball in play time twenty odd minutes and thirty minutes approximate where the ball wasn't in play. It's a fifty-two minute half or something stupid like that. I suppose I've got the numbers slightly wrong. But you can't tell me that's for the better of the game. You just can't. You can't sell that to me. And so we have a decision to make about what we're trying to do. And it's all about implementation. Have we tried to, to bite too much of this cherry in one go? Yeah, definitely. I spoke to, believe it or not, I do. Uh, I am friends with maybe one Chelsea fan. Um, but he was at the game on Monday night and he said it's just one of the worst games I've ever been to. Because, <laughs> you know, I, I watched it on TV. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I loved it yeah. because I hate both teams. And when you sat on your sofa, the, the drama was was quite funny, particularly because I hate both teams. So I didn't really have a massive emotional interest in who won. I was prepared to laugh at whoever lost. Uh, but in the stadium, that, that must have been really, really dreadful. And, and it's a bit like, you know, the Newcastle game, I think in the pre-VAR era, like, of course, the referee doesn't see Bruno Guimaraes. Of course, he can't pick the bones out of that goal. I have pretty much no complaints about either in the pre-VAR era. What annoys me is that it's looked at and ignored. But like I said, I didn't want to go too far down that rabbit hole because we've done that discussion to death. <laughs> yep, yep. So let's let, let's talk a bit more about the game. But I did just want to pick out, particularly in the stadium, some of the key differences, I think, about watching Champions League games. Absolutely. And, 
the fact that VAR seems to be far like a bit more like I think one of the things that was difficult for people is the first time we saw it was the 2018 World Cup and what do you get at the World Cup you get the best referees in the world you get the best referee from every league and so it's not a fair representation of what it's actually going to look like because it looked quite good in the 2018 World Cup, but that's because it had the best guys and and maybe that was that was um, you know a bit false for us. But anyway, line drawn under yep. that. We've got um, a couple of weeks line now. Drawn. We, can go, we can go deep on that, can't we? In the international break and uh, really discuss. Yeah. But let's so let's discuss the kind of starting lineup. I mean, I listened to the instant reaction, and you know, I think to your point, we didn't really have much of a choice about the starting lineup. There weren't there weren't many players there um, to choose from. We pretty much knew what the team was going to be, but we pretty much knew there was going to be no Eddie Nketiah. And we've had plenty of debate about his position in the team. So Leo Trossard comes in again. We have Havertz in the Erdegaard role and. I wondered before the game whether that would be a bit of a moving feast. And to some extent it was, to some extent it wasn't. But how do you think? Well, we'll go into we'll go into a little bit into Trossard. I want to go relatively in-depth on Havertz. But how did you see that kind of carousel of the front four with Trossard up front? Yeah, this is a this is an interesting one. Because when I watched it, I did my IR, I was thinking... I wasn't sure I got the influence of Trossard correct, and um, but I could see that we were we were moving. We were we looked more fluid, and I have this theory. I have many theories, Tim, as you know, but I have this theory that every team has its heart and it has its emphasis. And if you take back to last year's team, for example, Thomas Part is at the heart of the team. It goes into him, goes out, right? So and it goes out to our into our wide men. So he's like the tactical heart of the team. I think in previous years it was Vieira, you know, and um, and in, when when Arteta first came, it was about getting the ball to a Bamiyang. So you have a tactical heart of the team that that the way we play gets to the danger point. So people are going to change our lives, right? So I think in recent weeks I've been concerned about the emphasis of where we play, and for me the emphasis of our team has been with Saliba and our goalkeeper. And I've been moaning about we're playing in the wrong areas too long. So the emphasis has gone backwards towards, you know, Sleber, Rice, Jorginho and our keeper. And that's not Arsenal for me. And what this game really showed me was the emphasis of our team is our tactical outlets. And our outlets tend to be our wingers. And how we get the ball to them in advantageous situations. And probably, I've known this for a while, but when it really crystallized for me, it was probably at halftime Man City when Martinelli came on and suddenly we had this outlet on the wide area and everything changed. Like the windows were clean and we could all see. So if the, if, if the emphasis of your team is your, is your wingers, then you have to give them something. And for me, Trossard is much more on the psych- psychological level to our wingers than say Eddie is. It's not about who's a better player. It's about that balance psychologically. And the thing about Trossard is when he plays deep, gets the ball deep, he looks like a midfielder. When he gets the ball on the wings, he looks like a winger. And when he gets the ball in the box facing the goal, he looks like a centre-forward. And when you know a player is that versatile, what you can do is then you can then move, knowing he can handle the situations in wide areas, deep, and you can move to where he's come from. 
And it's no accident to me that those front four players could all interchange and were all comfortable on the exterior and the interior, back to goal, facing goal, stretching and linking, all four of them. And that, to me, is part of the Arsenal's heart. The heart of this team is how is our collective, our collective defending and our collective attacking. When we play with Eddie, I'm afraid, what we become are three separate entities up there. We have a centre forward and two wide men. And I don't think that's Arsenal. I don't think that's the best Arsenal. You know, so we have to think about that going forward. There are times where we need two forwards. There are times we need we do need that player. But I, I feel the best Arsenal is a collective Arsenal. We attack by committee. We defend by committee. To do that, you need the right balance of player. And I do think Trussard gives us that balance. Yeah, I completely agree. And and it's not to say, um, I don't want to throw the baby out, out with the bathwater here because we had a good game, Trossard scored. Yeah. And, you know, in our minds, that's like, oh, okay, Eddie never Trossard all the time. That's sorted. Yeah. And I think it's well within the range of possibilities that we start Trossard on Saturday against Burnley, gets a bit lost, you know, because yeah. he played it's against happened, Fulham earlier in the season and he gets disconnected. I, I think you're right. I think it depends sometimes on the game. Yeah. Um, but that, I mean, that that was really um, leading into what was really going to be my next question, which was about the wide players and particularly, like, I always like to think it, it's a slightly simple way of framing it because it's a bit too black and white. But I always feel like with our forwards on a good day, one of them is outstanding. Like mm. one of the, it's like, oh, today was Erdegaard day or today was Saka day or today was Jesus day. Um, and and I'm, I'm with you. I think the connection to the wide players is better when Trossard plays and it, it looks a bit more like us. And by the way, you know, let's, let's bring out a number here. All five of Trossard's goals this season supplied by Saka and the goal he scores, that's an Eddie goal. Yeah. Um, the one he actually scores. And, I'm not sure Eddie, like, so he can score Eddie goals, but I'm not sure that Eddie can do the other stuff. But like I said, that's not to say Nketiah never Trossard all wet. Like, you know, I, I do think it's a bit different strokes for different folks, but the, certainly the eye will tell you, and I think probably the brain as well, that this was a Martinelli game. This was Martinelli. This competition really seems to suit him as well, much in the way that it suits Gabriel Jesus. There's something about this competition with Jesus where he massively overperforms his XG. Like it, I, I can't explain it, but it brings something out in him. And I'm beginning to see that in Martinelli because I feel like he's been the key player in uh, definitely in both games. Well, yeah. I suppose Jesus in Seville as well, but he's been a killer in this competition. And on this night... I mean, he had the severe right-backs number very, very early on. <laughs> and, you know, there, there are days for dribbling inside and combining, and then there are days for getting on your motorbike and going out the, on the outside. And, and you know, what particularly in the ground, and in the first half he was on my side as well. He was like the roadrunner. Like, what did you make of Martinelli? And, and maybe do you think that had anything to do with Trossard being up front or do you think that's a bit of a separate issue? There, were, there was an interview pre-game and I did tweet it out actually with Arteta pre-game talking about our attack. And he spoke about a number of things. I thought it was, I have tweeted it and I will tweet it again because I think it's very important for those that are interested. 
to understand that some of the things that we've been discussing as fans are being discussed internally. Right? So, and he sort of said that we need to take a few more risks. We need to be a bit more, you know, direct. And he also said that game state as, you know, we need to be a bit more aggressive and, and affect game state a little bit more. And I've, I've had these conversations with people and seen videos on it and I thought, brilliant. And so the, the, the change between Martinelli and Saka to get into their running very quickly was like obvious. Now, I know there's less pressure on the ball, you know, but even the angle they're receiving it was on the half. And so they could take it on the sweep, sweep it forward and get on their bike. And I do think with um, Havertz, again, being some, on the right-hand side, someone that's happy overlapping, I thought gave Saka a bit more diversity there. And Martinelli was just it was just straight on manslaughter, wasn't it? Really, it was, it was like we all all of us been at school. It's that kid who made pro that could just run through us at school break time. It felt like that. Do you know what I mean? And um, he was just running past like he was telling him what he's going to do, and he's just running right around him. First half, Tim was down the other end, so that bit closer to your side of the pitch, and so you had a real good view of him just killing him. Right? So, uh, but I kept thinking, why aren't we scoring off the crosses? Have we messed up the crosses? Are we not getting our runs correctly? Because it was obvious he had the beating of his man. And actually, I just thought some of the crosses were unfortunate when I got home to watch it again. They were just unfortunate. They were good runs, and they were just stopped. And uh, they didn't bother with the doubling up. They focused on the zone, the central zone, to make sure they had enough bodies there to make sure they could clear it. So I was a bit frustrated that in the ground, but really nice to see, again, what I said earlier, the emphasis of our team in the right spaces with our superstar talent. And you just couldn't help but think, we need another one. Because no human being can do that every game, all of the time. If we're going to play that way, we need three. Three super fast, one-on-one killers that you could rotate in game, three games a week, et cetera, et cetera. Make sure they share the minutes appropriately. That's who we are. They'd invest in it. You know, I really think that's very, very important. I don't mind being that team, but we can't be that team on gambling with people's health and fitness. And every time they go down, we all have that collective sigh in our hearts, don't we? Because we know this is the best version of Arsenal. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a bit like, uh, again, I, I wrote about this this week, uh, <laughs> my kind of theory that I'd... I think I'd rather get another fast wide player. And I think in that kind of forward carousel, really, whether you want Arsenal to get a striker or a winger depends on who you have the least faith in between Reese Nelson and Eddie Nketiah. Because yep. essentially, we probably have a bit of redundancy. And you've, you've got to look at one of those two players and say, sorry, You're like if we buy a striker, Eddie's got to go. And if we buy a wide player, Reese has got to go. And I'm much more on the by a wide player and and, and Reese going. Um, but like like to your point, you look at City, City always have four wide players. Um, and they do again this season, you know, Doku, Doku uh, Grealish, Foden, Silver, you know, and yeah. like before that it was Mares. Because you're right, that's who they are as yeah. well. Like they really, really value kind of going on the outside and they don't have overlapping fullbacks really like we don't. So it really matters how you are one-on-one and, yeah, I'm I'm with you, and I, and I kind of think. Look, before Trossard, who did we want? Mudrick. Yeah, and I I think that kind of that was Plan A. I think that tells you that. And in the piece I wrote, actually, I compared Trossard to Jota, where um I I kind of said that because when you look at Jota, Jota's a really good fit for Liverpool 
in much the same way as Trossard in that he can do a bit of everything, but they still bought Nunes, who's a killer in behind. They still bought Diaz, who's a killer one-on-one. They still bought Gakpo, who can hold the ball. Jota can do a little bit of all of those things, but they still bought the specialist for, yeah. for each position. And I think we're missing one more specialist. That That's what I think. And I think we have to make a bet. And if it, I don't think it will or should be Ivan Tony, but if it's Ivan Tony, fine, it's Ivan Tony. We say thank you very much to Eddie. We pack him off, and and that's who we and and look. Someone like Ivan Tony, you could say, facilitates for those wide players. That's what he does for Brentford. And Buemo, for me, is one of the most underrated players in the league. Brentford people, they play in a front two, and that's a very 50-50 impact between the two of them. But Tony's the one who gets all of the attention. So we have got a decision to make up there at some point. But I really feel like Trossard is our Jota, our plug-in-and-play, doesn't define the team, won't always be the star, but you know will we'll kind of come in. And I think the other thing I noticed in this game, Clive, is... And and it happened in the away game as well, was our intent to press was very, very... Like, you can tell in the first 10 minutes because sometimes Arsenal sit off and sometimes they go for you. And Arsenal went for Sevilla. They did it in Seville as well, but in Seville, they had Ramos and we stayed away from him and they sit him back on the edge of the area anyway so he can ping the ball out. But we left him alone in Seville because he's Ramos and he's really good and he'll probably make a fool of you so we we left him alone but he wasn't there and it looked to me like we wanted blood very very quickly in that press is that the impression that you got yeah you can see when people were squeezing over to the touchline that that we were all we were all on it and I and I do think you know the approach to this game and what's said within the club about responding from a defeat the weekend or what Declan Rice said that we're asked we don't lose three games I I was really impressed with the approach no, the approach is everything to me. You know, the quality of the team would be dictated by how we execute. And we can say, oh, they were rubbish when we won 2-0, 5-0, whatever it is. But you get your approach right, we can have those conversations about how rubbish your position was. Right, get your approach wrong, then you get beat. Right, so um, we got our approach right. I thought we were really aggressive and I thought everybody was on it. You know, and I was very, very pleased that we turned out the way we did. And I, I will say that, obviously, in, in England, shall we say, in our northwestern media... We have a perception, and it's, I don't think it's very favourable at the moment, but we have a perception. I mean, Tottenham can stand seven people on a halfway line and get praise. Well, you know what? That's the world we're living in, and it's done to wind us up. We just have to accept it. But maybe in Europe, our perception is, is greater than it is in England, because Sevilla seem to leave a lot of their better players on the bench. Although they accepted up to a point, they're in a game they couldn't win. And it's difficult for us because we are looking at every single pass, we're looking at every single point gained by our competitive landscape. Maybe we don't realise that we're on a really strong path here and how we're being looked at. We're four favourites in competition. If I said that we've got a great chance of being in the semi-finals and being in the final at Wembley, that's not computing to many people right now. But the way we're playing, the way we're controlling games, the amount of goals, even shots we are conceding, shots I'm talking about, I, we are set. We are we look like a cup team. Does that mean we are set? We are we're looking very strong in the areas that we need to be strong. And the only things that worry me are, is injury because we can't get enough of our better players on the pitch at the same time. 
And what we're doing now for me is really, really good. If we win on Saturday, we can sit and rest our legs and reset. But I do think there's something emerging here that's not far away. And watching that's really exploding and watching certain players on Wednesday, particularly like Martinelli, for example, you feel as though they're just one moment away from explosion, you know, real explosion, you know, something big happening. You know, and I, and I do think it's very exciting to watch this team. They, they've really repaired my brain this week. I have to <laughs> thank you, Arsenal Football Club, because <laughs> I was in a dark place. And to see that performance was exactly what I needed, exactly what all of us needed. And now we just need to continue it. Let's um, let's discuss Kai Havertz because there's there's a conversation we don't have very often. Mm. Um, I I'm this is just endlessly fascinating. Not always in a good way. It has to be said, but it kind of it reminds me a bit of I don't know if you ever followed the Twitter account of David Allen Green. David Allen Green is like a top policy lawyer in the UK and he became like one of the leading commentators on Brexit and he always used to tweet stuff like Brexit is um you know apologies if you don't agree with this and and all of that and I'm not saying it's my opinion but he was just saying like Brexit's like a disaster but like if you're into policy it's fascinating <laughs> and uh, and that's I I think I might have indirectly compared Kai Havertz to Brexit there which wasn't where I was going with this but so let me tell you what I saw because I heard you on the instant reaction and you didn't sound um, that impressed. Let me tell you what I think I saw. Yeah. I So I thought he was like eight out of 10 at Newcastle. I thought it was yeah. by a long way his better. Like in a sea of fives and sixes, that was an eight. I thought this was a like a seven. I thought he was good. I do think there was maybe something more for him. I do think if that left foot shot in the second half... Oh goes like a quarter of an inch the other way and goes in the top corner. We're probably having a different conversation. I thought he was good again. I'm not, I don't want to overstate it, but I thought he was good. And, um, I'm, it's too small a sample size to be definitive, but I think he looks better in the right hand side of the pitch. And, uh, Phil Costa spoke about this on, on the Ask Cast this week about how he receives the ball, he looks much better when his right leg is his back leg, he kills it on his left, and he's on the half turn already. And we see that with Erdegaard. That's why Erdegaard plays there, because when he receives, he's on the half turn. Havertz receiving on the half turn, that's exactly how he gets that shot off. That shot does not happen from the other side. Whereas on the left side, he receives it, and he's half turned away from goal. And maybe that's fixable, um, could well be, could just be about, you know, fixing his body positioning a bit. That that I think that's the kind of idea I'm coming to because everyone struggled to put their finger on this player. I think a lot of it is about the positions he receives in and his body position when he receives because he's not a disaster area. He's not booting the ball out of play um, every time he gets it. It's all just a little bit ineffective and I think... It's about working on his body positioning when he receives the ball, much like we did with Saka when there was that clear change a couple of seasons ago when he started facing inwards. So when he collected it off Ben White, he was already driving towards goal. We need to do something similar with Havertz, but in that Erdegaard position, he's kind of there. But obviously, 
the Erdegaard position is not up for grabs at all, unless you think about putting Erdegaard over on the left, but then he might get some of the issues that Havertz has got. So what, what did you make of the performance and I guess where we are with this player? Because this spell is a real opportunity because we're losing players. So he kind of has to play. Um, and I think the last two games, there have been signs of life. What did you make of it? Yeah, so again in the ground when he missed that header in the first minute or so, you're thinking, "Oh man, come on!" And uh, I sit next to a couple of guys, and and I'm in the North Bank corner area, and basically when he took that shot, we were right behind it, and we were just having a, they were just had a bit of a moan up about him, and then that shot whistles towards the top corner, and they started laughing. So, oh, he's, he's not bad, is he? <laughs> and so, uh, and that's the that's the sort of challenge we all have. Some people want to give up. Next minute, there's something really, really good. Or you think there's something there? I'm, I've been in the something there camp since the charity shield because I've seen it. I've seen it. I thought, okay, now I know you can play. Now it's about how can you play for Arsenal and where can you play? So in the charity shield game, he played. He played up top, and I've sort of learned from him that if you almost give him no time, you almost force responsibility onto him. I think he's better. I think you, when you clarify his mind, I think he's better. So when you've, I felt people say he's a big game player. What happens in big games? You have to do it. If you don't do it, it's, it's, it's embarrassing. In smaller games, when you're in the interior, when you're the second midfielder, not the third, you can sit in there and just play and just circulate and just move the ball around. That's a six out of 10. The way you've been introduced to this team is we want you to be better than Granite Shaka. So why are you a six out of 10? That's no good. Goals and is your measure. I'm not concerned you're not doing it. Then we start to look at our defensive numbers, which he's a big part of. He's off the ball reading, he's stunning. In this game, Tim, if you watch him, which I'm sure you have, his ability to drop in, come back towards the play, and press from the front, back in, and catch people, is really, really strong. We didn't have that last season. Do you think, well, are there people I talk to offline, and and they, they've been talking about Odegaard's left midfield for a long time. It's the moment we were, before even Havertz came along. And given the way Rice has potentially not as much technical build-up as Thomas Parry, potentially having Odegaard one down to allow us to have technical build-up and, and real centrality is an option for us. The problem is, he's got 15 and 10 last season. So why am I going to move the 15 and 10 guy into a space where he's only going to score seven and move someone up front into his position who can play that position really, really well and connect with Saka, but I'm not sure I'm going to get 15 goals from him. So if you're a manager, you have to de-risk that situation and try to use Havertz maybe one down. I'm not giving up on the left-hand side, but you're absolutely right about how you receive it. That's a clear thing. But also, again, back to when this first came about, what was I thinking? I was thinking, we got Kai Havertz. His number one skill for me, you know, looking from afar, was the ability to arrive into the box. What have we got on the right-hand side of our pitch? Two people that can click the ball into a sixpence into the box. I'm thinking, well, what a genius bit of scouting that is. He's going to come in a back, back stick, six at 100, head the ball into the net. It just hasn't happened yet. It hasn't happened. So the box crashing has stopped. So I just want to see him run. I think he's a fantastic runner. In all these last few games, he's looked one of the fitter players on the pitch. He's ending the games in great shape. He's a good runner, and he's outrunning his opponent. He's out, so he looks engaged to me. 
this is step one. And I think some of the positional stuff people are talking about, I think it's all part of it. But why we have to develop the, the relationship with Odegaard and Havertz. And there are times when Havertz should be the front two presser team. Do you know what I mean? The front two guy. Maybe the first exit on first phase. And there are times when you drop deep. So why can't they get on the piston? One Odegaard drops deep, receives it, turns around, then goes up, Havertz drops deep, or takes his position as a forward. We have these abilities now. So rather than, I'm not sure about pinning him yet, but it's obvious to see on that right-hand side of the pitch, he does look more engaged, and the rewiring isn't as acute as it is on the left-hand side. Yeah, definitely. And and we saw him finish this game up front again. I think it's really fascinating as well that he almost never starts there other than the charity shield, but he very often finishes there. Yeah. Um, which is which is really, really interesting. I think particularly when a team gets tired. Um and again, this is I guess like a little bit of insight I got from Jonas Eideval last week where he brought on um Arsenal women's backup striker Stina Blackstenius against Man City and he said he brought her on because the team was tired and they wanted an outlet. And he said, I, I can't fight that impulse for them. If that's what they need to do, that's what they need to do. So he switched the striker and he put Stina up front and he let them hit her in the channels. And, uh, and it strikes me that there's something maybe slightly similar going on here, like in the later stages of games, particularly games where we're winning, actually, quite often Havertz finishes them up front to be that outlet, that kind of target man and, and to play on the break and everything. And, and yeah, and I think there's enough resilience in the left eight position so we've got other players that can play it. Nobody's made it their own yet, but we've got other players who can come in there. So, yeah, you can bring on Fabio Vieira and stick Havertz up front. And I really think that's probably quite a big part of the plan. Like, you know, Havertz play left eight for 70 minutes and then the last 20, we might bring on Smith Rowe. We might bring on Vieira. If we're defending, you know, Jorginho might come on and we stick Rice in the left eight and you go up front. Like, I really think... It is a very concrete part of the plan that he doesn't play in one position for the whole game. And I think that's maybe something we're learning because like Xhaka, Xhaka was maybe Xhaka, maybe Partey as well are like the last players in our kind of midfield forward who you just wouldn't play anywhere else. Yeah. Basically. Whereas everyone else and I, I think this comes down to with with Eddie a bit as well, where like yep. Eddie's the only forward we've got who you can only play as, as a, a centre forward. forward, and you you wouldn't play him wide. Really, he has played there a few times, but it's not really worked. So I I do think there is a sense to which this is supposed to be a bit of a carousel, yep. um, and that might take time. It might never work. Um, you know, we've always got to be honest about that like the potential that it just never works. But I don't know. I, I tweeted after the game on the train home. I was like, I can't, it's so hard for me with Havertz because I just like you, I, f- I feel like there's something there. And I've seen players flop before where I've known in my heart early they were going to flop. Yeah. And I didn't want to say it on Twitter because for some reason there is an army of people who will like, absolutely go for you cancel you everything if you say anything about Nicola Pepe but honestly in my heart I knew early that Pepe wasn't going to work and I felt like that about other players that haven't worked 
even if I haven't been outspoken about it and you don't want to be too judgmental too quickly anyway because it's like well you know this could change I could be wrong but you know in your soul in your heart you know it and I'm not there with Hava I'm genuinely not which is not the same as me saying this is definitely going to work it'll all just take time it might not but I'm just not yet in that position I I I think Clive my conclusion I compared him to Sylvain Wiltord uh, when I was tweeting where I said, you know, we broke our transfer record for Wiltord as a striker. He was never that player. He was never that player at all. But we found good roles for him. He probably wasn't really worth the money, but that didn't mean he was worthless. And I think that's where I'm going with Havertz. Is that that similar to you? Yeah, I I think... We have a tactical tool that we can deploy how we choose to. Right? So and you said there about the plan, and I've often spoken about one-dimensional players. So whether you like it or not, Great Shack is quite one-dimensional. Right? So and we got an extra dimension out of him, but we all know that he made that work fantastically well. But there were limitations within him within the dimensions of the game that we that we needed to play in centre midfield. Eddie, I'm afraid, is another one. And when people, when we were trying him on left wing, I, I thought it was for a reason, to see if there's another dimension to his game. Because it's very important we have multi-dimensional players. Because, Tim, you talk about a plan, but the plan is maybe to have multiple plans. To have multiple plans, you need versatile players. That's the truth. And games now are much more taken in chunks and phases. And what you do in phase one, phase two, phase three, there might be four or five plans within game. You know, and in your game model is the phrase coaches use. And you can't have that multiple plans if you haven't got those players to give you the optionality. And you can see it when you're watching games. Sometimes you wonder, ask yourself, what's your position changed? Why are they getting on the ball? Then you have to adjust. You have to adjust. It's that speed of adjustment to what the opposition are doing and how they adjust to us and what we're doing in different phases of the game. And so... Again, bringing it back to how you assess players. If you want to say, he hasn't scored a goal yet, he hasn't got an open play, that's your prerogative. But for me, this is somebody that you can use in multiple positions, both eights. He has played double six in his career as well, and he did that at Brentford, by the way, with Jorginho, when he dropped right in. And he's played centre forward. There's not many people that can play that. There's not many people that can do that, right down the gut. And he's played out, and he was overlapping Saka on Wednesday night. There's not many people that have that in their toolbox so now once you see that you say oh my goodness we can use this guy in so many different ways then it comes then it becomes about output and you judge your output based on the role he's been given on that particular day there were things about him i didn't know i didn't know he could defend so well i didn't know he could read the broken play so well he read second balls really really well i want him to stick one in the top bags we all do right i want him to do that just because it quiets the noise and we can see his potential, once you start getting output, then you can start to move people around accordingly because you trust him to execute. At the moment, I, it's a challenge. He needs to score just so we can quiet him down. But I think where the game is going, multi-dimensional, versatile people that can take positions off each other in attack is where we need to be. But also, I, I said it, I'll say it again, I think it's very important. It's the big step forward for this team our collective defending and our ability to cover the ground, read the second ball, read the rebounds, manage the regains, get our two passes in, back into attacking shape. That's where we have been really, really good. 
Now it's about adding that purpose and aggression to that attack, which we've seen in Europe consistently. We're seeing at home sometimes more directness, more aggression, more attacking purpose, and really take the energy and discourage these teams much earlier and quicker, and I think we'll be fine. Oh, you rapscallions. You thought you got away without me today, but you did not. I deliver this beautiful pod unto you without me, but but it wouldn't be an Arsenal Vision post-match podcast if we didn't take care of our community by offering you sensational brands that really want to be a part of your life. Obviously, that is a key service we provide, and I will remind you, it is a service we do not provide over on Patreon where you get ad-free episodes. But over here, where we are thrilled to have you, you get to benefit from the joy that is NordVPN. And I do want to let you know that NordVPN is celebrating Movember. Movember, of course, is a portmanteau between mustache and November. Now, they could have gone with no stash, but that wouldn't work because then you literally would grow no stash. So they went with Movember, where you grow out your facial hair and things like that uh, to promote men's health causes such as prostate cancer awareness and things of that nature. And they will be uh, doing all kinds of things to raise money and support the cause. And they will actually have an option in their app where you can donate one, five, 10 pounds to the charity. So remember to support the Movember cause uh, in support of men's health issues like prostate and testicular cancer. Um, and of course, you can always contribute to Gooners versus Cancer, another great cause uh, by a great Gooner, Mike. Uh, now, as far as NordVPN goes, as a reminder, they are my VPN of choice, and I hope they will be yours as well, because all you do is you install an app on your computer, on your phone, on your tablet, and boom, you can instantly be browsing somewhere else. So when you want to watch Match of the Day to see the analysis of why exactly the player who took out a machete on the pitch and drove it through the heart of one of our players uh, should not have been sent off and why it was not a penalty. If you want to see that analysis, obviously you can. Um but you can also see things like videos back home when you're traveling away and videos away when you're not in that region. You can also get threat protection, all the great things. Uh, Nord is the best, and they have come with the best offer that they have provided to us. So if you want, you can get an exclusive 30-day money-back guarantee. All you have to do is go to nordvpn.com slash arsenalvision. That's nordvpn.com slash arsenalvision. And... Uh, yeah, I, I just, I couldn't recommend it highly enough. They're giving you four bonus months for free, by the way, uh, which is extraordinary. I mean, that's literally a third of a year. Um, literally, you could watch whatever you want abroad for free, and James Madison still won't be back from injury. NordVPN.com slash Arsenal Vision. Okay, gotta let you know about Manscaped, obviously, because Manscaped is... The company that is focused on getting your body as clean and fresh as possible. And look, it, it is funny, right? Talking about shaving your privates. I, I've spoken to other people about it. And they're like, what is it like to talk to people about shaving your privates? And I said, well, it's, it's really a beautiful thing because people do shave their privates. And if you do shave your privates, then you want to use the great tools from Manscaped. And, and it's not just for your privates. You now have the star, the brand new Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. That's right. The Ultra 5.0 is here. Dual LED spotlights. You have new next-gen skin-safe blade heads, a standard in quality for being able to take the hair off and not the skin off, a new foil blade to go smoother wherever your heart desires. There's all kinds of um, guards now as well. In the new performance package, you can get the Weed Whacker for nose and air, uh, ear trimming. That's a Weed Whacker 2.0, also with skin-safe technology. Uh, there's lotions and uh, toners. Uh, you get the shed travel bag. You get the boxers, which I use for working out. They're great for that. You got to check it out. Get 20% off free shipping with the code arsenalvision at manscaped.com. That's 20% off free shipping with the code manscaped.com. Go to manscaped.com. 
Use promo code ArsenalVision, save 20% off and free shipping. Last but not least, I have to say this because this is how we end all of our ad read segments, and that is when you're building a great team, you need great talent. To get great talent, you need to use Indeed. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites, Indeed is the one site that can help you do it all with instant match. Over 80% of employers get quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job, according to US Indeed data. Look, it's just this simple. You can have 40 websites up that you're checking constantly to try to figure out if you actually got an applicant that you need or did your did your job post go up in the right way or is the copyright on this site it needs to be right on that site you could do one you could just do one and instantly get matched and oh by the way indeed's the only job site we only pay for the applications that meet your must-have requirements it's just obvious join more than three million businesses worldwide that use indeed to hire great talent fast start hiring now with a 75 dollars sponsored job credit to update your job post at indeed.com slash blue wire sports offer good for a limited time claim your 75 dollars credit now at indeed.com slash blue wire sports just go to indeed.com slash blue wire sports and support the show by saying you heard about it on this podcast indeed.com slash blue wire sports terms are applying now are you indeed now back to the good podcast yeah and to your point earlier about whether we might be more suited for europe i think james benj wrote a piece about this um actually about how actually in the premier league the conversation is all about have we sacrificed too much going forward for the off ball stuff but james's point was kind of actually in the champions league that probably counts um for more so if if like look at what happened the year we got to the final it was because we went four five one and yeah. and we tightened up and when did City finally win it? It's when Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's when they decided to play four massive centre backs and Rodri. Um, you know, so that it, it, it does potentially count for more. I, I wanna go gonna work our way backwards on the pitch, I think, because we've kind of mm. discussed a little bit there about the attack, the attacking midfield. A- another one of the things I tweeted after the game, and again I I've I put this in two black and white away because I think you're right. I think there'll be different templates for different games. But at the moment, the more I look at it, the more I think that Declan Rice is Granite Xhaka, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Like, yep. I prefer him in that role at the moment, at the moment, just because if there's one thing he hasn't got yet, and I think he will get it because he's one of those players that just like, you know, he, he collects attributes like infinity stones. He'll get there, I really think. True. And I think he'll get that, take that ball on the turn, punch it through the lines thing. But at the moment, he's a runner. He's a marathon runner, which is exactly what Xhaka was. That's like the reason that position works so well for Xhaka. It's not because he adapted to it. It was because it was adapted to him. So what he could do is he could run up and down in straight lines. I I used to watch him and sometimes I almost could see the baton in his hand, you know, 200 metres, 200 metres, 200 metres in a straight line. He's not like in oceans of space, but he's running in straight lines and, and, you know, he's an endurance athlete. And I think we take... That that role was for him in a way that his previous role kind of wasn't. I kind of see a lot of similar stuff in Declan Rice. And because he hasn't yet got that Jorginho parte, collect the ball from the centre-backs, punch it through the lines, keep it ticking. I mean, he, can, he can do that. I just don't think quite as well as... Yeah, yeah, yeah. But at the moment, I love him on that kind of outside where I think he can really drive the ball forward. And he alluded to that in his post-match interview when he said he still thinks he's a six, but you know he, he likes driving. I, I just think driving the ball in that left channel 
He's so, so strong. And like I said, I don't, I don't think any of this in perpetuity, but at the moment, I really like this Jorginho at the base. We'll come on to him in a minute. And I like Rice on the outside of the block. Um, what did you make of his performance? And again, maybe what this means medium term. Yeah, um, I suppose, you know, the, my thoughts at the start of the year was party would go, and then because the rumours were telling us such, but then when party was staying and when I saw the charity shield, I went, oh, this is it. This is it. Rice Moore doing two jobs, party doing his normal job with somebody that can really come back and help defensively, also carry the ball out and move. I thought, oh my God, this is it. This midfield can go anywhere they like any stadium in the world and come back in shape. And the other team's got a problem. I've had this debate myself and on here, I say myself, with you guys. <laughs> um, do we want to develop somebody deeper? Like The phrase that I use for so people who remember is, do you want to develop a Michael Carrick or do you want, do you want to develop a Steven Gerrard? When you have a Steven Gerrard in your hands, why not develop in that way? Then listening to him, I wonder if he feels more comfortable playing like a Michael Carrick in a deep line position because he knows he can manage that. He knows he's very good at being that central guy. And he knows that defensively, breaking things up, reading things, he has a his value is in his head very, very high. And I will say his passing is improving to him down around the corner. And I, I can see... He's, you're absolutely right. He learns so fast. It's just ridiculously quick. What a quick learner he is and how he studies himself, etc. And back to our conversation again. I have to fight away from creating one-dimensional players. But then I look at City, they've got Rodri. I think, well, they're all right, isn't they? They're all right, haven't he? Being one-dimensional. But in games, he does he does stuff. Just, he moves forward. He takes position on the edge of the area. He takes shots. So I think it's more, more for me, it's more like building him from a understanding and how he fits in the group. If he can play six one week and play eight the other week, then I'm I'm cool with it at the moment. But I must admit, we are speeding towards the January window. We're speeding towards things that are happening all around us. And we know we have some aged players in that part of the pitch. I I can't help but wonder and get excited about how we partner him. And what that player looks like. And as we're talking, that player can't be one-dimensional to me. It's got to be multi-dimensional. But have the ability to do a bit of what Party and Jorginho do. But also, if on any given day, we might need you to carry as well as pass and move. And so that player is going to be so interesting to see what we do. Because for me, it's going to dictate part of our ongoing versatility as we have many different game models in game. So we need to do it. I don't like the burden on Rice at the moment. It's, it's too great. He comes off the pitch, he looks absolutely knackered every single game. His performance is just beyond my expectations, and I had high ones anyway. You know, so but what he's doing to our team and our connection to the to the crowd is just absolutely incredible. Yeah, I guess if I was going to put it again slightly over simply, we're in a position where we're trying, well, we we have transitioned away from like Xhaka and Partey and we've got, we've definitely got one of those pieces in Rice, but maybe it's not clear whether he's replaced Partey or, or yeah. Xhaka. Um, yeah, definitely Xhaka in this like game, say, isn't it? It's definitely Xhaka yeah, in this game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And you thought, well, yeah. Jacques has done. So let's just get a six then. Then when you hear him, you think, yeah. actually, what are we doing here? Does, does he want to really be back there? So here, therein lies the debate. What's the, what's the evolution going to be? You know, and that's the exciting stuff, isn't it? Yeah. And we, look, we've got a lot of money invested in the eight role anyway with Havertz. We've got Vieira there. I mean, I, I don't think Smith Rowe's much longer for the club, to be honest, but. You know, we spent some money on Vieira. I don't think we can say he's at the top of his potential yet. So, you know, it, it would probably make more sense. for It would certainly make more sense for Arsenal for Rice to be a six. But yeah. talking about the six, so we've done this thing recently and I think it's all interconnected. I think one of the reasons Rice looks quite good in that left role is because Zinchenko hasn't been there. So we've lost a bit of personality and a little bit of presence in that area of the pitch, which Rice has kind of fixed. We're playing Tommy Asu there to be more defensively solid. But for me, it's not that Tommy Asu has replaced Zinchenko. I mean, he has in, in a sense for the moment. And again, this is all just about the evolution of the team. Yeah. could be different in two, uh, three weeks ago. None of us were really saying that. But for me, it's Jorginho that is replacing Zinchenko. And yeah. I think we've we've developed a model here where Arteta wants at least one of those players. And at the moment, Tommy Asu makes us a bit more solid. We got Rice, you know, doing doggies in the left channel. So between the three of them, they've kind of taken care of um, what Zinchenko offers. And I, like, I, I've always really liked Jorginho. I liked the signing. I think the signing as well was an acknowledgement that Partey is a key player, but he's injured so often that we can't have Elneny and Sambi Lokonga as his backups. Like there are some players, unfortunately, you can't do that. It's like he's going to be missing for a third half of the season. So we need someone, you know, we need the finished product there. And that's, that's why we spent the money on Jorginho. I really like the player. I've always really liked the player. He captain again in this game. I don't know how much you saw of this because it was on my side when he went off and he was walking, he went the long way round on the pitch and he was coaching from the, it took him a long time to get to the dugout because he was coaching from the side of the pitch. He stood for about only about 10, 15 seconds, because the ball was in that, he was still pointing at people, go over there, go over there, walks around the goal, comes into like the left back area, and he stopped again and he was coaching from the sidelines. And I think that's the other thing about Jorginho. It's not just that he's nice and tidy on the ball, plays a brilliant through pass for our first goal. I do feel like, particularly when you don't have Erdegaard as well, he becomes that on pitch brain. Yeah. And I've really, really liked having him in the team recently. I think if you don't have Zinchenko there, you have to have Jorginho there. And I think there's a big part of me that thinks actually Tomiyasu at left back and Jorginho at the base and Rice on the left, it, it, it can't and won't last forever at the moment. But I feel quite good about that for the time being. What did you make of Jorginho? And I guess just that whole connection on the, on the left pod. Yeah, I, I agree with a lot of that. I think I've been one for Tommy Asu left back for a long time, <laughs> for a long time. Again, it's just down to body shape and what it does for you. When you, I thought some of Tommy Asu's left foot passing Tim out to your wing first time in the first half was excellent. 
you know, he just bang, left foot, straight out, you know, out to in, curved. Yeah, exactly. Curved around the corner. That's hard to do on your wrong foot. And he's doing that multiple times. I think he's a wonderful player and a wonderful balance to our team. So he stops, he stops the counter straight away. So you're, you're absolutely right for me. Zinchenko not being there, Jorginho can be there at the base of the team. So you can, you can afford to have a light guy. You know what I mean by that? A, a lighter guy physically, but a bit more technical. So Jorginho replaces the technicality we lose from Zinchenko. But the point about, well, again, when you go to the games, you can see this. You're absolutely right about the coaching. And also, Georgina has literally replaced Odegaard as the coach on the pitch. And he is the one running over to the manager and taking the manager's instructions and coming back on. And that's what Odegaard does. So when Odegaard's not there and Sinchenko's been sort of moved away, Georgina has to play. You know, for me, he is that, that, that dad on the pitch, that technical leader, the one that decides what we do when we flip models within game, when we put certain people into position, he's the one that calls it and he's the one that dictates and drives it. I said on the IR, I realise in this game more than any other, you don't just select somebody in your mind based on what you see. You select them based on their role. And his role to me was huge in this game. And it was really, really prevalent. And then I thought, you know what? I know he gets run past a lot on occasions when the spaces are too big and it comes to transition game where we don't control the scoreboard. I know that, and he can't fix it. You see what I mean? Because he can't run when it's a big space game. But when we control the game, like against Man City and against Seville, he is more than passable. So my previous biases, I'm going to put them away. Because Odegaard's not available. Zinchenko's having a bit of an up-and-down time. And we need to rebalance our team. And Jorginho is part of that rebalance because part is not available as well. I'm putting my things away that I know he can't do. And I'm looking at what he can do and the role he provides for the team. And you've nailed it absolutely bang on. I don't disagree with a word. And if, for those that watched on Wednesday closely, I know it wasn't a huge physical contest. But then you can see things sometimes when that's not the case because you can see the roles that the team, the players are given and you can see them achieve them at their best. And I thought of, of all the Jorginho games, that was one of my favourite ones, you know, because I really thought he led us on the pitch. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think also, you know, this guy that's won this competition, as much as we don't like to acknowledge it because of who he won it with, really? but um, it, it, it could, you know, it could be that he's a pretty ideal Champions League player. And you look at, you mentioned the City game there. I mean, that was a Champions League game. That well, City game, that's a Champions League quarterfinal, semifinal type game. And he was, I think, one of the best players on the pitch. And this is a player that Pep wanted a lot before he went for Rodri, you know. So I, I think this player, I say doesn't get enough love. I, I still think because he's 30 and I think people have always had this thing about slow play. Like that for a supporter, that seems to be like the biggest crime you can commit as a footballer is not to be rapid. But when I think about the best like deep-lying midfielders, they're rarely fast. Um, actually, it's that old like first yard is in their head kind of cliche. But I do, I do get it. Like That is absolutely a weakness. And we probably saw it at Stamford Bridge. It wasn't really his type of game. That was much more, you know, Cole Palmer, Raheem Sterling, 
Mudrick and all of those, like they had they their ran, relays. They ran around there. him a bit, didn't they? They ran around him a little bit. They mm. ran him. And, and by the way, it happens. It's about space management for him. When the spaces are appropriate mm, exactly. for him and he can manage it, he's a good player. When the spaces become too transitional and he's left exposed by other people in our team, I'm afraid he struggles. Now, what's happened since that Chelsea game to him? Tommy Asses come in. What's he really good at? Yeah. Covering the ground and stopping transitions. So that's been stopped, mate. You see what I mean? It's been stopped. It's not mm. Tommy Asu's running ability alongside Rice's. Suddenly, Jorginho's got his carpet slippers on. He's thinking, I've got I've got White to my right. I've got Saka staying there. Well, he's not bad. I'll just go and find him. Do you know what I mean? And now Trossard's dropping deep so I can find him. And I've got these two bouncers on my left in Tommy Asu and Rice. Mate, I am in my carpet slippers flicking on, flicking on the Sky TV channels because this is easy. Because when I lose it, I haven't got to worry because Tommy Asu is going to charge back. And when he's losing it before, Zinchenko's also quite light on the defensive transition. Then guess what? Our first line of our defense is our two center backs, and then we have then we have problems. You know what I mean? So, so yeah, yeah. Um, no, they're not bad themselves, right? But you know what I mean. We don't want the first line of our defense to be the last line of our defense. That's what we don't want. So, it's a, yeah, it's yeah, really good, really good. Yeah, it reminds me of I don't know if you remember the the question I asked uh, Gilberto in LA. The, the horrible name dropping there. Sorry, but because uh, I didn't go to LA, event. you no need to remind me again <laughs> that I didn't go and you had the I, best I time of your life. <laughs> <laughs> but I we, listen. We got to ask uh, uh, Laura and Ray Parler and Gilberto a question each, and I asked Gilberto about like you know I was like, oh, what was the transition like between playing with Patrick Vieira and then a completely different player in? Fabregas and like sometimes when you ask a question like that the first thing that comes out is is the is the kind of the absolute answer and he just said easy for me and that's (laughs) that that was like the meat of his answer it was just like yeah they're different but they're both brilliant that made my job like quite nice and easy and and yeah like maybe there's an element of that with Jorginho and speaking of before we'll do one um quick hit on the Burnley game but before that it would be remiss of us, of me, of us, not to kind of cover this a little bit, given his performance. I'm not going to do an Elliot and tee this up with a massive conceit because I don't really have an awful lot to say about this player. I, I wrote a thing a few weeks ago when I was writing about Havertz again, and I was like, this is the third time I've written about Havertz in six weeks. And that's when you can tell a player's like divisive or whatever. But there are some players like I never write about And a player I've never written any of my weekly columns on, Clive, is Saliba. Mm. Never, barely written a word about him because, like, how do I get a thousand words out of William Saliba's really good? Like, genuinely, I, I, I couldn't write more than 200 words on him. And in this game, I mean, wow, that counter attack he stops in the first half. Yeah. It it reminds me so much. I, I've got this really vivid memory of it was the two thousand two three season, and I used to sit at the front of the clock end, right? So I used to see the defenders shepherd the ball out of play a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was one time when Sol Campbell shepherded the ball out of play away from Jermaine Defoe, and and it was right next to the West Ham fans as well. And I swear everyone was just laughing. It was like uproarious laughter because you could see Sol Campbell shepherding it and you could see Jermaine Defoe, who at the time I think was about 21, 20, 21 years old. Yeah. And, and, you know, he was, he was a, 
never a big guy anyway. <laughs> and you could see him going, oh, no, I've got to go and challenge for this, haven't I? And you could see it, and everyone's going, oh, oh, oh. And then, like, you see Sol Campbell just, like, shepherd it out of play. And even the West Ham fans laughed because it was just, like, it was laughable. And, and Jermaine Defoe knew it. It was laughable, the idea that he was ever going to get round Sol Campbell. And I promise you, it was a West Ham fan that shouted, you need a fucking taxi to get round him. And, uh, <laughs> and I got that feeling again when William Saliba stops that counter-attack in the first half. And I can see it. And um, I think it was Phil on the Arscast who said, like, I'm supposed to be nervous when that happens. But, like, I basically laughed at the Sophia player trying to get it. Um, William Saliba, good at football. Yeah, that, that's it. And um, uh, a, couple of friends, a couple of friends of ours were in the press lounge at Newcastle and they were talking to a Newcastle journalist and the, the words were at halftime, I can't believe he's just 22. And and that is something that we have to take a breath because Sol Campbell arrived 26, 27 at Arsenal. Was it something like that? And so a lot of his best times were only 27, 28. So this kid's 22. And so going back to when we first got him, and we're all doing our scouting, weren't we, at, at St. Etienne and at Marseille, trying to learn about this guy. And um, and the, the thing I took away from those performances were, he, yeah, he's not bad. He's pretty good. He lacks a bit of in the air. He's, you know, he's a bit of a turtle. He's, his head goes into his neck. He's not really heading the ball out. Well, he's fixed that. <laughs> um, he was running with everybody, but sometimes he gave the ball away. Well, he's, he's fixed that, you know? And, um, and one thing I said was, if he does come to England and do well, we won't miss him because of how he plays, the aura and composure by which he plays. If he, if he cracks the standard, we won't be able to see anything else. That's one of the words I use because I just thought, you can't stop looking at him. You know, it's, it's, it's strange how he draws you in. You know, you can't stop looking at him because of how he plays the game. You know, and I think he's really found his own game at the moment. It's that right-hand side of the defence. I watched him play for France. They stuck him on the left-hand side. Again, body shape means stuff. And he got run past by, I think, Sane, I think it was. I mean, I think Havertz popped him off on a pass and Sane ran off him and they scored. We don't see that on the right-hand side. No chance, mate. He can read that all day long. Position, the structure by which you're in is very important. But he brings something else to us, doesn't he? He brings uh, an emotion. And I think there are positions, centre-back and goalkeepers, that I think are much more emotional. And you know how you feel about a centre-back and a goalkeeper you don't need to look at the data. You just know. You know, you just know. And we all just know with him, don't we? And last year, we're on this podcast, him, and we lost him. We have to think solutions. We have to think, okay, what can we do? What can we do? How can we manage it? Man, City are the best in the world. We weren't going to win anyway. Well, watching him now, watching him right now, I have to reverse that conversation I was having last year because I think we would have got very, very close to that league. He was able to play those last 10, 11 games. You know, and, and that I can't get away from that feeling. And he's making me have more regrets now watching him than what I did at the end of last year when I sort of, I got over it because Man City won everything. We were very close. And if he stayed, who knows what could have happened. 
Yeah, I, I'm not sure I see Haaland or De Bruyne running through us in quite the same way um, in April with Saliba on the pitch. And he's that real like clean shorts defender. He's the kind of bold Adams and Gabriel's the Keown um, type thing. And I think all great defensive relationships have that. They have the, you know, the fight in the car park guy and the clean yep. shorts guy and and he's the clean shorts guy. And Absolutely. yeah, he, he just, there, there are some of our players you know, coming into uh, coming into this competition and just showing you no problem. I said it about Martinelli, Saka, another goal in this game. We're not even talking about it because it's just so normal. And Saliba's another one who's just like, yep, not only do I belong at this level, I excel at this level. I am one of the best. And Champions League group stage, nothing to me. Come back and talk to me, semi-final, final um, type thing. We that, That's what we want. E- exactly. Exactly that. Before we go, let's let's have a quick look ahead to the Burnley game. We should say um, as well, or I should say, that uh, Burnley striker Lyle Foster, Burnley announced yesterday they're giving him time off uh, for mental health reasons. Obviously, wish him really well and commend his courage um, for kind of speaking out about that and saying so and Burnley for saying so. They, they obviously don't have to because it's a private matter. Um, but you know, hopefully really helpful for moving on some of the conversation around mental health. And I know some players, including some Arsenal women players, um, you know, uh, launched a scheme last week about, you know, being more open about mental health with athletes. And so, you know, best wishes to Lyle Foster and I really hope he comes through whatever he's going through. And and that the fact that um, him and Burnley have been so upfront about that, really helps to change um, some of the framing of that conversation. But obviously we've got a game to win um, on Saturday against Burnley Clive at home just before the international break. We haven't heard at the time of recording from Mikel Arteta yet, so we don't know all of the team news up front. Would you stick with, assuming Nketiah's fit, would you stick with what we saw on Wednesday? I would stick with what we saw on Wednesday in the front end of the pitch. I think Tommy Asu will be an interesting one. I, I don't think he's going to play. So what are that? what's that going to mean? Is that going to mean Zinchenko comes in? Or does it mean we're going to try to create something similar on the physicality side and play Kivior left back? I'm comfortable either. I want to see Kivior play. I'm, I'm seeing little rumours about him and I don't want to see him because I think he's got a lot of potential and a lot of talent. And we've got to find, we've got to find a way to give him minutes. So we don't lose him from the group. That's very important. And we, if we got Tinchenko will play international break. He's the captain of his country. Kivio will play international break. But let's, you know, I'm not against him playing in, in this in this game, and I'd like to see that happen. Um, I would, so I would, I would definitely keep it as is. I want to see where Trossard can go because I am aware when we get excited about him. I was at the Fulham game first half, mate, and we couldn't find him, could we? We couldn't find him. He disappeared. So he has these moments where he disappears into a laundry basket. You can't find him. And then you, there are other days you can't miss him. So I, I want to see him play through that and create relationships. But yeah, I would definitely keep it that way, Tim. Very, very similar. Um, and, and and go from there. I think with Burnley, I, I don't know Burnley per se, but the manager obviously has similar principles to our manager about how he plays, how he builds up. And there are players there that I do know, like the goalkeeper, James Trafford, who's a very exciting young goalkeeper that they've invested in. Sander Berg, a player that we looked at, six foot five centre mid, very strong player. 
And there are players like Jay Rodriguez, example. There are a few there that I sort of know of, but some of the brighter players that he's got from abroad, I don't know them so well. We're going to get a chance to see them. But they, they're not afraid of the football, are they? They're not like Sheffield United. They're not afraid of the football. So there could be some moments on at the weekend where we're thinking, bloody hell, give us the ball back, will you? Or, but hopefully we've got enough to, to take them when it comes to it. But maybe there will be periods where the crowd may need to feel comfortable out of possession for a little while. And then when we get the ball back, we go from there. So, um, yeah, looking forward to it, mate. Hopefully we get even a bit more counselling from Arsenal. Get us a nice win before the national break because uh, I, I like that. I need it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and we've had a couple of them um, recently. You're right, we should point out this is not Sean Dyche's Burnley. And I believe I read a stat that um, Burnley are the only Premier League team that Mikel Arteta's Arsenal have not, that Arsenal haven't scored against at home under Mikel Arteta. Um, and that really needs to change. I think Burnley, to me, remind me of Southampton last season in that you could see what Southampton were trying to do. They invested in a load of young talent, but they were probably a bit young and a bit naive um, to stay up. I, I do think that looks like it's happening to Burnley and it'll be interesting to see whether they just stick with company and say, look, even if we go down, we think he'll bring a straight breath back up or whether they kind of hit the panic button and try and do something different. Um, but yeah, th- this is not Sean Dyche's Burnley we're playing. They've not been good this season. We're at home. We should beat them. I'm yeah. with you. I'd like to see Trossard up front again. I think the injury almost helps Arteta to fudge that issue if he wants to with Nketiah. And if Nketiah is fit enough for the bench, great because he can come on in pretty much any situation I can imagine with 20 minutes to go. If we're 3-0 up, if we're 2-0 down, whatever, like there'll be a role from Eddie, for Eddie from the bench, assuming he's fit for that. So, yeah, I, I'd keep the team pretty much the same. Um, but it will be we're interesting, like you Odegaard, said, to see. We're assuming Odegaard's not going to make it, aren't we, really? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and that... Yeah, I, I, but I think that will be interesting at left back because assuming we want to keep Jorginho there, as much as we've kind of talked about how we've replaced Zinchenko collectively, I'm not sure Zinchenko and Jorginho together is a is a very good mix. So we'll see whether maybe there's a change at the base of midfield. Maybe we bring like a Vieira in and we sit Rice in the six so that we can have Zinchenko at left back. I, I do think that little pod there, if one has to change, probably two has to change to keep the balance there. So Good um, shout, Vieira. We'll too. see. That's a good call, actually. And um, and there's a relationship with Vieira and Martinelli, isn't there? And a, a home day, mm-hmm. three o'clock kickoff, you can see that working, can't you? So that uh, was a good call. Yeah. And, and if it doesn't, no drama. We can change it. Um, as far as I'm concerned, the options are there. So let's see what happens. But Clive, thank you very much for that. That was a little bit more therapy and that was a little bit lighter. We talked about the Champions League nights being lighter. That podcast felt a lot lighter than, than the last one we did. So uh, thanks as ever for your insights. Thank you very much. Enjoyed that, mate. And uh, we will be back with an instant reaction on Saturday evening after the game. I don't know who's going to be on that. I imagine we'll get some of Clive's insights from inside the ground. Um, he has the Wi-Fi in there, so uh, or rather he's nearer to where the Wi-Fi is situated, whereas I'm on the other side of the ground to where the Wi-Fi is situated. So harder for me to send recordings, unfortunately. But um, yeah, we'll have an instant reaction for you on Saturday. Main pod for you again on Monday. And of course, with the international break, 
um we'll we'll do all the stuff we usually do as well on the patreon side clive and i were talking before recording and we'll do another one club episode um next week as well on on the women's team um and we'll have all sorts for you over the international break and we might squeeze a burnley rewatch in as well next week so uh keep it with us if you're on patreon uh with us you get loads and loads of extra content like i said if not no worries you still get your two free podcasts a week uh and we'll be out with another one of those on monday but until then we will speak to you after arsenal 10 burnley nil It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com